welcome back to What the HR Podcast. I'm Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson. And I'm Mike Toole, HR technology consultant with SAP SuccessFactors. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. We are joined by Eric Kershat. He's the owner of Harmony Insights, which is a company that helps organizations and consultants leverage the DISC personality assessment. He's also the founder of HR Hot Seat, which is an inclusive mastermind community of real HR professionals solving real HR problems. Eric draws from a broad range of experiences as a corporate HR professional, a public speaker, a career coach, a classical musician, and a proud introvert to inspire others toward meaningful work and productive workplace relationships. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a second, leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Enjoy this episode. All right, Eric, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm excited to have the conversation. Yes. Uh, as an easy way of getting started, I we, we, we gave your bio in the beginning, but uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience who you are, what you do, and what you've been up to. Sure thing. My name is Eric Kershott. I'm the owner of Harmony Insights, which is a company that allows me to work with organizations and consultants leveraging the DISC personality assessment. I'm a big DISC nerd and come by it honestly. I've been known to clear my calendar for people who want to <laughs> show up and talk about DISC with me, which is such a nerdy thing to say, but there you have it. Um, I'm also the founder of the HR Hot Seat Inclusive Mastermind Community. We have thousands of of members in 11 different licensed chapters around the country. And uh, I get really excited about helping people define and pursue meaningful work and productive workplace relationships. Those are the through lines through much of what I, what I do these days. Mm-hmm. And, and before you started Harmony, um, a little more about your background, come from the HR space. Yeah, I spent 16 years in corporate human resources for a company called Levy Restaurants. They're headquartered here in Chicago. They're part of Compass Group, which I believe is still the world's largest food service organization. And uh, Levy Restaurants was their sports and entertainment food service sort of niche. And a 16-year career there, which I just absolutely loved and left in 2015 because I had this hankering to be a small business owner and really focus on helping people use DISC. And I'll tell you, Mike, six years later or so, I'm still trying to figure out if I'm wired to be a small business owner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet. And uh, you may think that the rest of, of your career, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> so as somebody who who isn't, I don't do HR every day. Um, can you talk a little more about DISC and you know specifically what it is and then how you leverage it for customers and consultants, et cetera? Of course. So DISC, I would say, is one of the more popular personality or behavioral assessments out there, depending on how you see it. Um, some other big ones are Myers-Briggs, um, Strengths Finder, which is now called Clifton Strengths, Predictive Index. These are assessments that most people or a lot of people have heard of, I'll say. And uh, DISC is, is one of the more popular ones as well. I'm an authorized partner for Wiley, who happens to be the world's leading publisher of DISC materials. And in a nutshell, DISC is saying that there are four primary personality styles, D, I, S, and C. They each stand for something different, and we're a mixture of all four. And we can move between them. We can adapt what comes naturally to us in terms of our communication and behavior style so that we're communicating more effectively with people, that we're not pigeonholed or, or, or labeled in any way where we have no autonomy over how we connect with people. We can actually choose in any given conversation or environment 
um, to adapt our communication style to have more influence or to sell more product or to lead more effectively or communicate more meaningfully. And I love that. I love that DISC especially uh, empowers people in a way that I don't see other assessments do, mm -hmm. doing necessarily. So <laughs> I, I, I'm already going to go down a rabbit hole that I, I wasn't do it. planning on it, but I, I'm also throwing this out to Jess because I, I know she understands this way better than I do. I'm learning like, you know, every week, every month or whatever, there are so many of these types of things out there now. And I'm really interested in understanding why do companies choose specific ones? And with all of the assessments out there, is it industry specific? Is it just, hey, that the person at the company who's leading this prefers DISC over strength finders? Uh, I'm really curious just to understand how does a company choose which one to do? Yeah. Jess, do you have any perspective on that yourself? You know, I don't know if it's just um, kind of the evolution of more of these assessments coming out of the woodwork over time, or if it's individuals that lead up onboarding or learning and development within an organization that, you know, may, they, they maybe came into the organization with a favorite. And so that's kind of what the company ends up adopting over time. Um, I'll be honest, although I'm very familiar with DISC, I haven't actually worked for an organization that has used DISC uh -huh. as their predominant assessment. I've been um, more exposed to strength finders being a pretty popular one within the organizations I've historically worked for. And then most recently, um, Insights Discovery. Yeah, exactly. You, you just named a couple of, of really popular ones as well. So um, I would agree with with you on that. I think that the companies often have uh, an affinity for one assessment over another because they've used it in the past. Or somebody comes in in a talent development role or a, a new CEO that says, oh my gosh, we got to use this one over the others because it's just fantastic. Um, unfortunately, that can that can come with blinders in a sense that you just assume that it's a one size fits all and that that, that one that you have an affinity for is going to be what's best for you. I'll be the first to say that there are some clients that come to me where they they um, present some opportunities and obstacles that DISC isn't the best for, you mm -hmm. know. Um, for example, if you come to me and you say, we want something that's really specifically designed for the recruiting and selection process, turns out that isn't DISC. You know, DISC is not a predictive, uh, doesn't predict performance. Predictive index is a really popular one for companies who want to use it primarily for the, the recruiting process. DISC is really popular with companies who... Um, have hired somebody, they want to incorporate something into their onboarding and ongoing professional development. Um, and especially one that is not only focused on helping people gain self-awareness, but develop an appreciation for cognitive diversity. You know, I, I need to come to this conversation knowing what I do well and how I'm wired, what my natural preferences and tendencies are, but I sure as heck want to get to know Michael and Jess and their preferences and how mm -hmm. they do their best work and what they need from me so that along the way I can adapt and learn to speak your language rather than insisting that you right. speak mine. And that's where we get really productive as a team. Yeah. Well, and I'm also curious if companies have used multiple assessments for various roles, various departments, or if it's a, you know, Jess is laughing like I, when she does, I know she already knows something or, or I'm asking a dumb question. So <laughs> Um, but I am curious on that because how you hire for a sales role or a sales organization is very different than an engineering 
you know, department or division, but yet we coexist in the same company. So I'm, I'm curious if this can run alongside something else. Yeah, I don't think it's a dumb question at all. And I wouldn't imagine just thinks, thinks so either. I think it is, it depends on what you're looking to accomplish. And for example, going back to what I mentioned earlier, if you're looking to predict performance in a role, well, that's going to be one type of assessment, you know, so you're going to maybe go toward predictive index, for example, which is a popular one for that. Alongside that, you may say, well, we want to have something in place that allows us to develop people once they're on board and step away from the hard skills and maybe focus on um, the people skills, the emotional intelligence piece, um, you know, fostering productive conflict on a team. Well, some of those same assessments that you were using earlier to predict performance in a role that are a little bit more fo focused on hard skills potentially may not be then the best assessments for some of these other objectives that you have. So I have found that certainly um, different assessments can, can coexist in the same space because they're being used for different ways. Mm -hmm. But there has to be an intentionality around that. If you are simply bringing in an assessment because you've heard it's a magic bullet, I think you're going to miss the mark on um, the opportunity that you could have to be a little bit more focused in what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll just, the reason why I was uh, smirking a little bit over here is because uh, very similar to other initiatives within an organization, sometimes companies tend to go ditch to ditch with stuff, meaning, sure. you know, they're like, Oh, this is the new fad, this particular calendar year here's the new thing we're going to focus on or the new fad this particular calendar year. And so I think, um, you know, to Eric's point, you have to be really intentional about how you're planning to use the assessment and also to find a way to keep it what I'll call alive within the organization. Um, so that, you know, if, if for, for example, I'm an individual that has a lot of cross-functional relationships within an organization and the team that I'm a part of predominantly uses strength finders, but the technology team is using disc. So how am I supposed to understand if I'm not super familiar with disc, because all I know is strength finders when I'm dealing with Mike, who's on, on the tech team you know, what is Mike's, how does Mike's disc assessment align with my communication sure. style per strength finders, for example? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And using it and seeing it as the companies who get it wrong, use assessments, in my opinion, um, honestly, to label people and to say, okay, now, wait a minute, you are this style. So we have to treat you this way. And for good reason, then people often have a very negative um, relationship with assessments of any sort. And so what I try to do is bring it alive in a way that says, we're trying to establish a common language to help us discuss something vitally important. That's how we do our best work and connect meaningfully with other people in the workplace. We need with we need a common language to be, a to be able to have this conversation. I'm proposing DISC as that language. If I then go in, have people complete assessments, do workshop and step away and nothing else is done with it, to your point, Jess, about the longevity of this, people resent the experience. They resent that their time was taken away from other things that they would prefer to do. And then HR gets a bad name because they see it as sort of a check the box talent development thing that has no legs to it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I come in and say, it's our conversation is going to start with an assessment. I'm going to bring that assessment alive through facilitation. And I'm going to leave you with um, exercises, activities, and even a, an ongoing platform that people can log into to keep DISC relevant and actionable. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not relevant and actionable following a workshop, it loses its it loses its power, and people see it as just one more thing that HR is making us do that we don't understand how it fits into the greater scheme of what we do here in this organization. Eric, can you give maybe just one or two examples on how you keep it alive? Um, you know, I'll I'll give just a quick examples a quick example as the organization that I work for um, uses Insights Discovery. And if um, mm-hmm. any of you on the call or any of our listeners are familiar with Insights Discovery, it's a color stack. And typically when you go through the assessment, you'll get these what kind of look like Duplos, if anyone's familiar with Duplos, um, which is an oversized kind of Lego, if you will. Um, you'll get like a Duplo stack. And so it's very popular for us to have our Duplo or our color stack Um, on our desk or now that we've been all remote, it'll be kind of in the background. So you can know as you're coming into a meeting with a one-on-one meeting or multiple individuals, okay, how do I need to start out my communication with this person? Are they a high red? Do they kind of want to jump right into it? Are they a high yellow? Do they want to have some small talk at the beginning of the conversation? Things of that nature. So to that to that example, Eric, if you could give kind of an example more specific to DISC, I think that would be helpful. Sure. And I'm glad you mentioned Insights Discovery because there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of things in common between Insights Discovery and DISC in terms of how it's laid out. So I think they're, they're very compatible. Um, you have to be careful about keeping it alive. You, you very much want to, first of all. Um, but I've seen I've seen companies go a little bit overboard with it where they're so explicit about people's styles that it's almost as though people are being labeled, you know, that people are walking around with, you know, a sticker that says, I am this style, which can be helpful in, in, the, in an appropriate context. But the moment people feel that they're being labeled in that way, that they can't, they're only going to be treated as that particular style and not given opportunities to step beyond that style and adapt in different ways when it becomes limiting. I think that that that's the concern in terms of helping people keep it alive, any number of things that can be done, but a simple thing is, you know, in a, in a performance, a regular performance conversation or a weekly management meeting, have people show up and not necessarily teach others about the style, although certainly you you can um, have that done, but encourage people to be intentional about how they have used what they've learned about DISC in the last week or how they have they have enhanced what they do for the organization, that they have developed themselves or somebody else in some way linked specifically to what they've um learned about with DISC. So if I've left a workshop and I recognize that, you know what, I can be too direct about my communication. Maybe at our next management meeting, I need to report in about things I've done in the past week that have been a little bit more sensitive to the fact that some people are turned off by such direct communication. How have I adapted you know, to be able to connect more meaningfully with somebody? And luckily, the position I'm in I'm able to leave people with access to a a platform called Catalyst, which is actually relatively new, um, was rolled out during the pandemic, coincidentally, where people are able to log in, dig more into their results, listen to um, podcasts, et cetera. But they can find Jess 
compare their styles side by side, get some sense of the potential um, benefits and roadblocks of working together such that when Jess and I work together, we can hit the ground running because we've already done that pre-work, so to speak. We don't have to learn this stuff as we go. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But I'd rather show up having a better sense of what you need from me so that we can be productive right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think of the, what was the block that you said, Jess? What was it called? The Duplos. Right, the Duplo. <laughs> and I have mine back there that says I'm, I'm more straight to business. I don't like to chit chat, but then some days maybe I do. And so how do you, you know, how do you deal with that because i think what i'm hearing sometimes is that if you don't do it right people feel like they're boxed into this is who you are and this is who you have to be so when you when you do engage with somebody eric uh, with your customers can you walk through maybe how somebody kind of not necessarily start to finish but get started on a disc program and how you would help them Yeah. And there's so many different ways to slice and dice it, but it always comes down to what their specific needs are, what they're looking to accomplish. And a lot of companies that show up, there there are countless versions of DISC out there. Unlike StrengthsFinder and Myers-Briggs, which are owned by single companies, with DISC, there's no one company that owns it, which... Mm. Um, create some competition, I think some healthy, healthy competition in the marketplace, but it also means that people don't have a sense of what could be possible if they're working with a brand or a version of DISC that's somewhat limited in terms of the infrastructure behind it. So when companies come to me, quite often the conversation begins with, you know, what specifically are you looking to accomplish? What opportunities do you have? Have you had recent turnover? Do you have really strong, abrasive personalities in the group? Are you challenged with trust issues, you know, for example, um, cultural issues? Sort of of get those out on the table to to determine whether or not DISC is going to be beneficial to begin with. If it is, um, depending on where they want to go with it, there are a couple of different ways that they can embrace DISC. I usually recommend that the first um, connection is during a the onboarding process. You know, within the first ninety days that a company has um, everybody at a particular level and above in the organization um, complete an assessment, and that's not a deep dive at that point. That is to say, here is information that you can use as a, a new team member here, and that we can use, not against you, not to not to type you in any way but to position you to do your best work and connect meaningfully with your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to use it, you know, you're going to use it in, in ways as well. And then part two, a little bit further down the road, is typically an engagement, a workshop engagement of some sort, where you're coming together with members of your team, uh, members of your organization, to do a much deeper dive, to get really into the details of DISC, you know, um, interact with one another, experience some some fun engaging activities and exercises whether virtually or in person to really bring disc to life in a way that an an initial conversation about it during your onboarding process isn't necessarily going to do Mm -hmm. and then the third piece ongoing then if if people are into that is the um and hopefully they are because i think that's really where you get the the greatest roi on any of this is to ensure that um, team members are engaging with an online platform or something that does keep it relevant and actionable ongoing. So it starts with the assessment, 
The assessment has to be brought to life in some way through coaching or facilitation. And then you need to have access to a platform that's going to allow you to keep it actionable and relevant for the long term. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pivot off this, but Jess, I want to make sure that if you have any other questions on this, you can go ahead. Yeah, I just want to tie it up with a bow with a question that I imagine you get a lot, Eric, and I have too in my career, which is, hey, Eric, um, I have this specific DISC personality on my team that's worked out so well. They're a high potential rock star employee. They've been with me forever. So I want to go and hire six more people that have the same (laughs) DISC result. What do you, what do you say to that people leader? Um, we need to sit down and talk. <laughs> you know, of course, what we're trying to avoid and what happens naturally if we're not intentional about any of this is a, a homogenous workplace, you know, where everybody looks the same, um, talks the same, believes the same, values the same things. And if we're not careful, and we're not intentional. That's what we end up with because we naturally want to surround ourselves by people who value what we do and, and talk the way that we do and think the way that we do. That's that's comfortable. Um, what you end up then sacrificing is this diversity. And cognitive diversity is an important component. I think pretty quickly some companies gravitate toward aspects of diversity that appear more easily quantified. And those are important pieces of the puzzle, certainly. I think cognitive diversity is another important piece of this puzzle where we're talking about the way we prefer to connect with each other and problem solve. And some of these things that aren't as easily quantified. And it could turn out that Um, You may be perfectly comfortable surrounding yourself by people who act and think the way that you do. But then what happens when a task comes along that none of you are well suited for, that you're all big picture visionaries and a task comes along that requires somebody to get into the weeds and get detailed. If nobody like that on your team brings that natural inclination, someone's going to have to adapt. And you can adapt over the short term. Adapting over the long term needs to burn out. I would much rather stop to think, now, wait a minute. If we diversify our team a little bit, eventually there won't be a task that comes in the door that somebody isn't well positioned to address. And that's when you start to get productive. That's when you start to get effective and increase revenue and and decrease turnover and all these other things that people want to do is through that cognitive diversity. Well stated. Thanks. Yeah, Thank you. the, the adapting, <laughs> adapting in the long term leads to burnout. I, that is so well said. And I think people will really relate to hearing that because it is you get burned out from doing stuff you don't really enjoy doing. And, and it's usually tedious, you know, by itself, it's small things. But over time, it's like, okay, I'm so sick of this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> it's like laundry. We spend so kids. much time in my workshops. <laughs> talking about that right exactly and the the exercise i have people do is to sign their names with their dominant hand very natural takes no time easy automatic autopilot and then sign your name with your non-dominant hand takes a little bit more time it's frustrating it's exhausting i'm nervous about it i don't want to show people the point that i make is i would never have you write with your non-dominant hand for a full month for example You could do it, you could adapt, you could even probably build that skill, but before long, you're gonna be looking for a job elsewhere. Even if you work for the perfect company with the perfect culture, great supervisor, everything is lined up perfectly to suit you. You are in a position that doesn't appeal to your natural disc style and you're adapting over the long term. 
you're going to look to work somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So what I encourage companies to do is recognize that they don't have the wrong people working within their organizations. They may have the wrong people in the wrong positions or you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> the people on the right bus, but they're in the wrong seats. How, whatever analogy yeah. you want to use. Once you start thinking in those terms, oh, wait a minute. You know, I've put you into a role where you're sitting behind a computer screen in a cube all day, but you are so social and so influential. And you, all you want to do is connect with other people. I'm limiting your greatest gifts mm -hmm. by putting you in the position. I know you came to us because you needed a paycheck. And so we slotted you into a role, but we put you in the absolute wrong role for the tendencies and preferences that, that you bring to the work that you do. Or potentially they're in the right role, but your internal processes aren't allowing them to do those things. And I, and I say that in terms of the job that you're in, that's what we think it's about. It's about being social and being creative and all this stuff. When, we maybe don't understand that the the systems and infrastructure that we have in place are taking up more of your time just to do administrative work. Right. Like, so it, yeah, it, it's interesting because like I was going to play devil's advocate when, when you said, don't go hire everybody that looks the same. And to me, it was like, well, if you find somebody who's a high performer, of course I'm in the sales world. So this, you know, we talk about this a lot. Well, if they all look the same or we find a high performer, we clone them, it's going to work out, but it doesn't. Um, and, and so that's one of the things I was going to ask as well is why is it that people that have the same score on disc or strength finders, it doesn't always guarantee the same results. And so how do you take that into consideration as a company when you're like, well, we're, we're, we're finding the right people, but why aren't, why isn't, why aren't we getting the results that we expected? Because there's a lot more that, that informs um, workplace performance. Um, DISC is only looking at um, preferences and, and behavioral tendencies and preferences, communication styles, etc. There's your upbringing, there's your spirituality, there's your morals and ethics, there's, there's so much, there's your home life, there's your financial situation, there's so many factors weighing in and performance issues can stem from any number of those right. factors. DISC is simply the common language for us to open up lines of communication to say, how do you do your best work? In what ways do you connect meaningfully with other people? And how can we as an organization encourage those things? Your mm -hmm. um, example regarding sales, I think is a fantastic one. You may say, okay, the people who are going to do well in our role are going to be uh, that are going to be the most comfortable in a sales position are going to be that high I personality, very influential, you know, actively paced, outgoing. Those seem those people seem to be the ma to make the best sales folks. As it turns out, each disc style can be fantastic at sales, but for different reasons mm -hmm. and in different ways. You know, if you need somebody who's going to show up and 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 close the deal via um, uh, close the deal quickly be high energy and all of that. Well, that's one sales style. But what if you're selling a product that where you need to build a relationship over three years that's going to be sold for a million dollars? Well, that's maybe that S style that isn't quite so high energy, not so actively paced, but they're going to put in the time and effort to develop that sort of genuine rapport with a potential client mm -hmm. that eventually leads to the trust that, that sells a million dollar product. Yeah. If you just assume that everybody that shows up has, has to have that I style, you're missing the opportunity to really diversify how people are selling. Right. Yeah. 
And I think it really goes back to the comment that you made earlier, Eric, about people sometimes being adverse to assessments because it feels like it put, they feel like they're put in a box. As we all know, there are so many layers to what makes us who we are. And an assessment is just one of those, one of the layers of the onion, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't mind being seen as I'll play my own cards. I don't mind being seen as a high C personality style. And and I am with a secondary S I'm a CS personality style when it comes to disc. But if that's all that I am, you're missing out on so much. You're missing out on the fact that I'm a classical musician, that I've run two marathons, that I'm an introvert, that, you know, there's just, um, that I'm married and, and live in the South loop of Chicago. There's just, so much more to who we are as individuals. Nobody is primarily or or solely their disc style or style on any assessment. So that if we can back away from that and say this is just that common language that we've been talking about, it creates a safe space that people want to be a part of. But when companies use it in the wrong ways, it does not surprise me when people show up and say, I'm anti-assessment for these reasons. I get it. Let's undo some of that baggage if we can and take this in a much more positive direction so you can truly do your best work with us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I do want to I do want to transition here um, into the HR community that that you've built with um, HR Hot Seat, correct? Um, yes. And I I think just in, in terms of, you know, time and I, what I'd love to get across is is maybe what propelled you to do it what that group is doing and how can people get involved and what would they get out of it? Yeah. Excellent. Well, if I forget any of that, let me know and I'll try not <laughs> I'll to come be back. too wordy, yeah. but I, I get just about as excited about his HR hot seat as I do about desk. So it's a good thing I'm standing for these conversations. Um, in a nutshell, I started my company. I left corporate America, as I mentioned, started my company and wanted to stay in front of HR professionals and stay with them. And I started doing some networking and found as an introvert, a lot of the networking that I was doing felt very transactional and superficial. And I I needed something deeper. I needed something different. So I thought, I'm going to create, I'm going to start the community, the networking community that I would like to be a part of. And I'd been hearing all of this stuff about um, masterminds and mastermind style conversation, people like-minded folks coming together to tackle common challenges, build trust and accountability. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to start the Chicago HR Mastermind. And it's going to be for 8 to 10 or 8 to 12 HR professionals. They'll know that I'm a DISC facilitator, but then I can be of value to them in ways that go well beyond DISC. That was five years ago. Five years later, we have thousands of members in 11 different licensed chapters, as I said earlier on, um, just following the introduction. And we've evolved from a mastermind group to a mastermind community. And I don't know of too many of those that exist, especially in the HR space. Um, but we we present ourselves um, sort of as a complement to the more traditional HR networking that, um, that goes on out there. There are some fantastic organizations and associations that are serving HR professionals in so many ways. We don't have a full infrastructure. We don't have a board and all of that stuff. And so it was advantageous to me early on to focus and say, what do we do well? Well, for us, it's that mastermind style problem solving. Our members are showing up. Nothing that we do costs anything. Everything is entirely free. Our members are showing up once a month to get advice from their peers on HR related challenges that they are currently facing in their work or their job search. 
And anybody who's listening that has any sense of what HR can be in organization knows that it's a very broad umbrella that encompasses so many different um, functions and areas of, of practice. Um, and so people are showing up in change management and organization development and um, total rewards and acquisition and, and all of that to really learn from their peers, but then also give back in the same conversation. We had been virtual or uh, in-person up until the pandemic. And then as of the pandemic, we went virtual. I continue to facilitate our Chicago chapter, which is where I recommend people start to see what we do and how we do it. And this coming month in November, November 16th, will be our 64th consecutive monthly event since I started That's five great. years ago. And uh, as long as people continue to show up and, and attendance dropped off a little bit early on in the pandemic, but yeah. as long as people continue to show up and crave that meaningful connection and productive conversation, we're going to be there to serve HR professionals. Mm -hmm. And you said it's once a month. Is it on a specific day? It isn't. It's very organic that way. It's um, based around my own schedule as well as the schedule of, you know, a host if we're being hosted or other people being involved. But it's typically around the middle of the month on a Tuesday or a Thursday. I mm -hmm. think coming up November 16th is probably a Tuesday. And and then we're having a holiday social on December 8th as well, which steps away from our mastermind style conversation and gives people a chance to celebrate their year in a slightly different way. But typically throughout the year, we're offering free Sherman HRCI recertification credits, um, free career coaching. We have member resource circles where we can guarantee niche conversation. We have a book club. We're trying to provide more value than people would expect out of any event, let alone a free one. <laughs> right, that's awesome, that's awesome. Eric, just to confirm, it's, it's just Chicago today. The one that I facilitate is our Chicago chapter, but we have 11 chapters around the country. So we have chapters in uh, Milwaukee, Greenville, South Carolina, Indianapolis, Detroit, three in California, and four total in the Chicago area. So we have uh, a much larger footprint than I ever anticipated. They are independently licensed. So I support uh, new chapters that are, are launched by uh, our licensees. Um, and I give them some autonomy to, to serve their local audiences of HR pros however they need to be served as long as certain things are consistent between the chapters. But I continue to organize and facilitate the one that I started with, which is our Chicago chapter. So if we have listeners, which I know we do in locations other than the 15 that you have mm -hmm. the chapters today, um, how could they get involved and or if they wanted to start a chapter in their city or state, how could they go about doing that? Thank you so much for asking. I appreciate it. Um, everything starts at hrhotseat.com. So I typically recommend regardless of where you are, and we have members in Nigeria, Barbados, um, far off lands, certainly without access to local chapters. <laughs> These people begin by creating a free profile at hrhotseat.com. Um, you can, I usually recommend, regardless of where you are in the world, um, selecting the Chicago chapter when you're prompted, because as long as we're virtual, you can attend from anywhere, um, anywhere you happen to be. So creating a free profile at hrhotseat.com, joining the Chicago chapter and or any other chapters that exist that, that um, pique your interest. And... We have then sponsorship opportunities that are set up with our Chicago chapter. So I have a full slate of sponsors um, as well as opportunities to 
launch new chapters in new markets or step into chapters that uh, exist currently, but maybe without leadership. And we do have a few of those as well for various reasons. So um, all of that information on all of that can be found at hrhotseat.com. And I'm very active on LinkedIn. So anybody who connects with me directly, I'm happy to answer any questions they may have. That's great. And I'll put all that information in the show notes as well. See if we can uh, drive some attendance and see if we can get some new chapters opened up because it sounds like, I mean, everybody loves free, um, but even more <laughs> so, I think it's what I've noticed through, you know, being in with, with Twin Cities Sherm here and those smaller groups, and, and you're not small by any means, but more intimate groups where you can talk to peers um, just provide so much more value than and a lot of these large, you know, vendor-run conferences and whatnot. So, I applaud what you're doing, and and I certainly hope that this podcast can bring some uh, some more people your way. So, thank you so much thank for joining you. us. Well, I can I can tell you how much I appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Eric. So, thank you both. You bet. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsrm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode.